And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, the first one I've done in a couple of weeks. This is a sports podcast. I sound like Brian Windhorsing. We talk about the NBA. We do talk about the NBA. So I'm going to try to keep this as sportsy as possible. Um, in my TV background, if you look carefully, uh, I have a lot of books back there. I'm trying try to project that I'm a smart person. Uh, I maybe fake it, but I do have books. One of them is Chicken Soup for the Sports Fan's Soul. And anyone who knows me would be very surprised that I own any of the Chicken Soup books because I am not one for sentiment and sap. And uh, I hate romantic comedies. Love actually is terrible. I don't want to hear any rebuttal to that. Um, and even if I have a little sentimental bone in my body, I tend to hide it and suppress it and try to act tough about it. I have... Uh, chicken soup for the sports fans soul and I display it up there because of one chapter that starts on page 131 and it's called one morning in May and it's written by a uh, an older woman now in her 70s who grew up in a suburb of Pittsburgh and was a really really terrible athlete as a kid and the essay is about the dread she felt when the gym teacher would have them pick teams because she was always picked last and she was always humiliated or often humiliated by being picked last because she was just not a good athlete. Like lots of people are not good athletes. And it's about, uh, the essay is about that. And then about, um, something that happened to her one day when the gym teacher had them pick teams. Uh, and I'll just read you a couple paragraphs of it. However, those feelings changed one May morning. And she's talking about those feelings of dread and humiliation. Her name was Joan. The gym teacher almost always selected her as one of the captains because she was a good player. Taller and heavier than most, she had the power to hit a softball far. Stronger and more muscular than most, she had the endurance to pitch, to throw, to run fast. There was no doubt Joan was a star and therefore the captain. But what Joan also demonstrated, at least on that May morning that I remember, was that she had courage. When Joan won the toss that morning, it meant that she was entitled to make the first selection for the team. That in turn meant that Joan had the opportunity to select the best player. After a little delay in looking over her possible picks and the gym teacher's reminder that there wasn't much time to play, Joan made her first selection. The first name Joan called out was mine. Joan chose me. And after me, she selected someone else who was also not a richly talented player. Joan, perhaps spontaneously generous, perhaps consciously sensitive, it doesn't really matter, taught us all something about sportsmanship that day. She demonstrated a fairness and a generosity of spirit. And I'm sure Joan taught several of the girls how to be good losers because while I don't remember the score, at the end of class that May morning, I have little doubt that Joan's team lost. That's from Chicken Soup for the Sports Fan's Soul. Joan is my mom. Um, she made this book unbeknownst to her. And the woman who wrote it sent it to us with the signed copy and, and all that stuff. Uh, my mom has been for her whole life devoted to helping other people. That that day that she picked this this woman, I, Ellen is her name, to make her feel better. That's that's the kid she was and that's the adult she became. She was a social worker for many, many years and a guidance counselor before that and a teacher before that. And I have a million stories of my mom going to ridiculous lengths to help other people, to pick them up at school, to call, to take and pick them up for school, to call them the night before. She had a whole list of people she would call, troubled kids she would call the night before to make sure they were okay and that they were going to get to school the next morning. And on and on, I won't belabor it. Um, but that... Again, it's a sports podcast, and that's a sports story about my mom as a little kid. She, she, a lot of people, in, including me, frankly, try to pick careers for 
you know, reasons that are almost selfish, really. I mean, whether it's because you like, because it's fun to do or, you know, I mean, this is sports. It's a joke. It's a luxury. Uh, some people pick money. Some people pick fame, whatever. My mom went the other way. She she knew that she wanted to help other people and she made a job out of that. And uh, so I wanted to share that little sports connection anyway in this book because uh, two Saturdays ago, my mom had a really severe stroke and many people, colleagues have reached out saying, where are you? Why aren't you tweeting? Why aren't you writing? And they've alerted me to tweets from other people, listeners, readers saying, boy, something going on with Zach. That's what's going on with Zach. Uh, my mom had a very severe stroke and she's in the hospital fighting really hard right now. So I just wanted to read that little essay because that is really indicative of, of who my mom is. And I love her very, very much. And uh, in case you are wondering, that is where I have been. I have been watching games and making trade deadline calls uh, to the degree that I can, mostly as a distraction and because it's, it's fun to do, frankly, and it takes my mind off of it. So I have stuff to share on all-star picks and trade deadline stuff, which I will get to in a second. But, uh, you know, send some good vibes to Joan Lowe because she's, she's a great lady and she needs them right now. And with that, let's bring in Bobby Marks to talk about a whole lot of fun trade deadline stuff. All right, let's bring in Bobby Marks, front office insider. It's trade season. We are two weeks away from trade deadline 2022. Let's go through it all, Mr. Marks. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm hanging in, my brother. Yes. I'm hanging in. Let's start with Ben Simmons' Brooklyn nexus of pain. Um, obviously, the, the big domino is the Ben Simmons domino. Uh, there has been... Uh, the last podcast I did a couple weeks ago was with the rights to Ricky Sanchez people. And I said on that podcast that there's a lot of hard in Philadelphia smoke. And I think what I said was, I would just say for now, and this was two weeks ago, that it's not 100% locked in that James Harden is going back to Brooklyn. And obviously things have blown up since then. So let's let's zoom out. I'll ask you this. What do you think of this notion that if Philadelphia would like to acquire James Harden in a presumably in a sign and trade in the offseason. Now you can talk to him about the optics, uh, the options of an opt in and trade and all that, that they need Ben Simmons on the roster to trade to Brooklyn. And thus they cannot trade Ben Simmons for some placeholder package from Sacramento or wherever now in an effort to say to Joel Embiid, you are having a gargantuan superhero season instead of a zero from a roster spot, we're going to turn that zero into whatever to actually help you have a fighting chance in the playoffs. What do you think of this idea that, nope, they've they've got to keep Simmons even if he doesn't play because that's the chip that gets them hardened? I don't think it is the chip that gets them hardened, Zach. I, I think what, what would happen is, let's say if there is a hypothetical deal like, like Sacramento, Barnes, Fillers, draft picks, right? That kind of thing. I think they can still go out and get James Harden with cap space by taking, moving off to Tobias Harris and moving off, maybe you move off Harrison Barnes in the, in the off season. I think there is that, I think there's that, and it's, it's complicated and it's challenging. I think there is that scenario there that that's possible where Harden could just go there with, you know, you just move out enough of, of money where it's basically Embiid and Seth Curry and that group there that's left, and you go after James Harden strictly with cap space. Huge risk, of course, right? That's a risk there. The other thing where, which is more where I'm kind of aligned with is, is the Simmons piece where if you are um, 
you hold on to Simmons past the deadline. And then you use Simmons to go out and get James Harden. Basically, it's almost like what Chris Paul did in 2017 because you don't want Philadelphia to get hard capped. Opt into his contract. You work out a trade where it's Simmons, you know, pieces going back to Brooklyn. But I, I do think I, I don't think if if Simmons is traded at the deadline, I don't think that rules out Harden at all because I think there are ways to kind of clear clear money to sign him outright. You know, I looked at the cap space avenue. And you're right that if they do find a way to dump Tobias Harris along with Simmons, I mean, you're shedding at that point $70 million of salary for essentially no money on the books for the future. And I think you probably have to move another contract or two into somebody else's cap space. You can do it. That's just, man, that is yeah. a, that's a lot of gymnastics. So my initial reaction when I read this burblings about, well, they've got to keep Simmons for Harden was, I don't buy that. I don't buy that because... If James Harden wants to go to Philadelphia, he will say, I'm going to Philadelphia. Make it happen. And when stars of James Harden's caliber and everything that's happened in the last year has been, there are stars in James Harden's caliber who can goof around and get traded out of Houston wherever he wants to go. And one step below, you can't do that. Ben Simmons isn't in that stratosphere, and so he can't do that. He he is now in this sort of netherworld of nothingness. Um, when stars say, I want to go there, they tend to get there no matter what the hard feelings are, no matter what the package is, no matter what the obstacles are, they get where they want to go. So my reaction was, well, I don't need Ben Simmons. If I can trade Ben Simmons for Tyrese, I'm just making this up. Let yeah. me be clear. I'm making this up. Tyrese Halliburton and Harrison Barnes and a first-round pick and another first-round pick, whatever. And then I just trade all that stuff to Brooklyn. And if they want Tyrese Maxey too or Seth Curtis, whatever, I make it work. And I still pretty much believe that, but I have had some pushback of, of, of this sense. If there were ever a case where now this is where the incumbent team, the team that either is signing and then trading James Harden, Brooklyn, op, having him opt in and trade him, Brooklyn. If there was ever a case where the incumbent team would really say, go yourself, we're not helping you. This might be the case because of how out there the Harden Philly noise has been. And because on a, on a much simpler note, we're, the Brooklyn Nets, we're, we're trying to win the East. Why are we helping you create this two-man juggernaut of Harden and Embiid? I just don't remember a, a stalemate like that that really resulted in the guy going to another team that he didn't want to go to. That's very unusual. Yeah, I mean, we saw when Jimmy Butler wanted to go to the Heat in 2019, right? Miami didn't have anything. I mean, they, we were all like, how, how is Andy and Pat going to pull a rabbit out of the hat? And they figured it out, right? They figured out as far as how it worked financially, trade standpoint. When a player says, this is where I want to go, it usually does work. And you're right. I mean, considering that A, Harden would be going to a rival in Philadelphia, and B, considering that Brooklyn just basically gave up everything, draft picks that have really not come to fruition yet, this is kind of the first year where, um, you know, what, what the 2022 pick and then there's swaps and there's everything. It would almost be like, you know, I don't want to say the, the Pierce Garnett trade because you still have Durant and Kyrie, but it's like you you don't have that player that you just traded all those do picks you have, for. Do you have Kyrie? Do you really? Well, that's the other thing, right? We are not, you know, I don't know. That's going to be the other thing. I mean, even <laughs> right now, you only kind of have Kyrie. Yeah, you only have him half. I mean, this is this is such a mind f for me because like I'm looking, I'm picking games off. Oh, Lakers, Nets! I'm so excited yeah. for the. Oh, wait, it's in Brooklyn. 
So imagine working for the. It's just so weird. Like, well, um, you're more excited to see Nets Timberwolves at, on a, on the road, except instead of Nets Nuggets at home. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the reality of it. Um, with with the Kyrie situation, and I don't know what's that going to resolve. And that's another player that has a, you know, a, a player a player option there. But um, but I do think there is a lot of smoke um, to the heart in Philadelphia. I've been digging around the last couple of days. And I, and I do think there is a lot, there's a lot there. What's, what's a step above smoke embers, ash. I don't what, what's more. I mean, there's fire. I, I, we're not, I'm not sure. We're not at fire. Are we at fire? Yeah. I think there's a small wildfire that's probably not spreading right now. And that will maybe pick up five months from now. This situation could, there could be some, uh, some hard feelings here. Let's just, let's just put it that way. Um, if I'm Philly, I'll tell you where else I'm looking right now. I'm looking sideways at Washington, yeah. who is 23 and 25. Now they're clinging. They're clinging like grim death to the 10th spot. And by the way, we need to stop this right now. I don't know what podcast I was listening to because my brain's all addled. Where somebody said that Sacramento, if they get into the play-in tournament, would snap their streak of missing the playoffs. <laughs> we need that to get ahead. <laughs> we need to get all ahead of this. I said this last year. If you make the play-in tournament, but you don't make the playoffs, you have not made the playoffs. You have made something, and if you want to hang a banner for making the purgatory playoffs or something, that's awesome. You do not get to be like, oh, we snapped our streak of postseason non-appearances because we got one play-in game and we suck and we lost. Anyway, Washington. Well, can I just make a note too, like, and to confirm what you're saying, even though it doesn't need to be confirmed? There are guys who have have bonuses in their contract, right? If we get to the first round, we're going to get a, um, I'm going to get a million dollars. Let's just say, like, if they get to the plane and lose, he's not getting the million dollars. Like, that's the reality of it because it's not considered the playoffs. Yeah, so uh, let's nix that. So the Wiz are clinging like grim death to the 10th spot. The Knicks are 11th. They appear to want no part of any of this. And Tibbs is going to start this disastrously bad starting five come hell or high water. I do like Quentin Grimes, though. That's a nice bright spot for the Knicks. The Hawks are coming. The Hawks have figured out something in the last couple weeks. Number one, they've gotten healthy. And I I think the Cam Reddish trade sort of cleared up a little bit of a locker room jumble. They're coming for that 10th spot. The Wiz were like seven games over 500 at one point. Now they're two under. I'm looking sideways and being like, is it, is it, is it possible that should we at least call him and about Bradley Beal? Like, is he really going to, is he going to resign there? I still, based on what I've heard calling around, I don't know what, well, I'll just ask you, what have you heard about the Beal situation? Nothing. Been quiet, you know? And it's funny, like, um, I feel like I'm the kiss of death because I wrote nice things about Washington like two months ago and I think they've gone into crapper since. So I feel like I feel like I owe them an apology and stuff, but there's been nothing, you know, regarding Beal. But if you're Tommy Shepard, they're you know, the head of basketball operations, like you're looking, man, you're as you said, you're clinging, you're losing terrible games, getting blown out at home by to Boston. You're looking, how do I how does how do we get better? How do what I? They, what? they blew a thirty-five point lead to the to to Jay Scrub and Luke and, Kennard and, and, and the Beal comment was Brandon great. He's like, he's like, I didn't think we were going back in the game. <laughs> like, who you know, like when you're when you're up by that much, who does? But I think nothing. I haven't heard anything regarding Beal as far as putting feelers out, kind of testing the, the waters with him. I just think what I've heard is that you know basically. 
everyone's available in Washington if there's something that can upgrade this roster. Yeah, the names I've heard most are Dinwiddie, who just hasn't played very well there, and, and Montres Harrell, obviously, because there's just a logjam at center now that Thomas Bryant has, is back. And look, I, I think, again, my best guess based on what I've heard, and this is best guess season. This is, this is like be careful, you know, digesting information season. My best guess is that Beal will sign the five-year max. And then, like any smart agent would do, and like any smart player would do, They'll decide a year later, two years later, is this really where I want to be? Let me get the money first. Let me get it locked in first if that's what he wants. And so I agree with you. I think Washington, which is overflowing with rotation players, probably too many guys that think they should be playing 25 minutes a game, will try to make some sort of consolidation trade. And I keep saying this. The name I would look for if I were them, the name that, I would, that I'm looking for them to look for that makes some sense is, is DeMontis Sabonis. Because if I'm, if I'm trying to convince Beal to stay – all these centers are, are pretty good. I, I, give, I just need a more dynamic presence somewhere on the roster. And of all the guys who's realistically available, I think Sabonis fits the team, fits what they need, would have a nice two-man partnership with Beal. That's the one I'm looking at. I don't know if they'll actually – I'm pretty confident they have and will kick the tires on that. I don't know if there's a deal there to be made. They already owe a first-round pick to OKC, yeah. I think. Um, so there's a little bit of an encumbrance there. But I don't. that's just one place I'd look. That's the trade I'd like to see in the in the in the monster trade guide in the Washington section. That was it. Oh, so Sabonis. I stole that from you subconsciously. Oh, no, you didn't steal from me. Sabonis and Jeremy Land for Denny, KCP, Kuzma, and and in a first round pick, more maybe multiple first round picks. You'd certainly have to. You got to lift that protection off that um, OKC pick that is owed um, in 2023. But that that's kind of like that's what I would be looking at. Uh, is Simmons just nerf gun to your head? Simmons traded at the deadline, yes or no? No, I'm I'm no. I've been no all season. I was no two weeks ago with the Philly guys. I'm still no. Um, you know, it, we've got two weeks. A team that's been out of it could get back into it. I suspect that will happen. I'm not going to name the team because I'm not entirely sure about it. I don't really care what comes out publicly about Sacramento that this guy's untradeable, that guy's untradeable. Nobody's untradeable there until we get to the trade deadline and they're not traded. Zach, they just lost by what fifty something points and they were down. But I thought I thought Luke Walton was the problem. I thought <laughs> it's always the coach that's the problem in Sacramento. They always fire the coach and they still stink. So yeah. I guess yeah, I guess that, Luke that Walton didn't work wasn't out the problem. That, the interim bump that you usually get or something you get a little bit of that has not uh, has not worked out. I know Darren Fox was not in that Boston game or in the, in the Atlanta game, but man, have they they are listless and lethargic. Listless and lethargic, two bad L words uh, to be. <laughs> uh, yeah, they they were they were they were ahead by like ten. I watched that Hawks game last night. They went from like ahead by ten to behind by twelve. I don't even like. I went to get a glass of water and the game swung by thirty points. So like, what the hell happened? Bogdan Bogdanovich was to hit a ton of threes. I'm I'm also a no on Simmons getting traded just because, look, Daryl could be, Daryl Morey could be bluffing. There could, he, he could know that he's got a sack trade in his back pocket or a wherever Atlanta trade in his back pocket. Although the Atlanta Simmons noise has kind of quieted a little bit um, that, that he'd make at the deadline. They'll call that day and say, you know what, let's do it. Could, could all be bluffing. Um, I, I just the the GMs around the league who know Daryl Morey best have said we don't think he's bluffing anymore. We think this is going past the deadline into the summer. That he's hell bent on one of the stars that we've talked about ad nauseum, one of the three or four stars or player X that's 
not yet available. Uh, Jalen Brown, Jason, Jalen Brown, I, I, I still have heard Boston is just not entertaining anything for him at this point. There is a deal that makes sense, some at least theoretical sense, where it's like Jalen Brown for Simmons and, and like other stuff from the Sixers that Boston really wants. I just don't think that's got, had, had any real traction to it at all. I I suppose a mystery team could emerge. I just don't don't know who that would be. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if Daryl's looking at it like, yeah, I mean, Embiid's playing like an MVP and we have a chance to, you know, not be the sixth seed and maybe probably crack the top four here. But he's probably looking at Simmons like, this is my last big piece to upgrade in peak Embiid years, right? Like the next two or three years, whatever I do with Ben Simmons is probably the big, the one big trade where I'm going to add two or three players around Embiid. And it's not going to be just to be content to help right now i mean that's that's the reality of it um the other team that's been really that there's been just a lot of rumblings about is atlanta and atlanta's already made one trade cam reddish for a future first round pick to the knicks and cam reddish finally appeared in a game last the knicks finally were like oh he's on the team let's let's see let's let's try this new guy out um i you know they've been linked in recent reports to jeremy grant Personally, I think that's old intel based on what I've heard and that they are not in on Jeremy Grant right now. I don't think a Jeremy Grant trade involving John Collins makes much sense because I think John Collins is better than Jeremy Grant. Um, what, what's the word from Atlanta, which is coming off a conference finals appearance in 22 and 25 uh, for the season? Well, I mean, there's a little bit more stability than it was two weeks ago. I mean, DeAndre Hunter has helped immensely right getting him back healthy um ha- has helped now the question is take trey off the board uh, capella can't be traded uh we, you talked about john collins so what what are we looking at you're looking at Gal- galinari um you're looking at um herder herder's poison herder. pill right tough or it can happen workable. but it, workable the more money you add to a deal the better him on a standalone is challenging they've got all their picks um like i had heard just you know talking to teams like you know dallas was the name floated around john collins right as far as a possible destination and i look at the mavericks and it's like what do you have right like what do you have like like finney smith maxi you know guys just adding the numbers to get there they owe that pick to new york in 2023 is there enough of just like parts, um, especially for Finney Smith, who's a free agent here? Um, like, I, I just don't see a, a workable solution kind of around around the Mavericks. Um, something happened with John Collins in the last two weeks where it chained the intel around the league. And again, all I can do is make as many calls as I can. And I haven't made as many in the last two weeks because of personal circumstances that I normally would. But I made a lot to distract myself. Um all you can do is get all the intel you get and make the best judge of it. Something happened where it was like, maybe the Hawks would include John Collins as part of a gigantic blockbuster for Ben Simmons or something like that to John Collins is maybe available. Like just generally they're, they're at least listening if you call and for offers that are just not part of gigantic blockbuster trades. Uh, I'm higher than consensus on John Collins. I think he's really good. I think he's gotten a little bit better every year. Um, he's voiced his frustration publicly about the Hawks and his role in the offense. Although I, I think gent- more gently 
publicly than than some of the reporting has been. I think his words, when you actually listen to him say them, are not as indicative of bad chemistry or something as it's made out to be. Uh, I just I agree with you on Dallas. Unless so, I guess I guess we can just talk about the Mavs now because I think the Mavs. I think the Mavs are sneakily the most interesting team of the trade deadline. And I say that sneakily because everyone's talking about this Sacramento, Boston, Indiana, Atlanta nexus of misery where we're just going to shift deck chairs around and who's going to somehow poach Robert Covington and we're all going to trick ourselves into thinking that it matters, blah, blah, blah. Dallas is sitting there having surged up to standings. They're fifth in the West, 28 and 21, within sniffing distance of the Jazz at four. And... Their defense is now fifth overall. I think that's semi-real. I think they got a little bit of shooting luck, but I think it's semi You watch them play. It's like, this is a fundamentally sound, competitive defensive team that's well-coached defensively. And they have these two outgoing free agents in Jalen Brunson and Finney Smith who are both starting. And so you're staring down the barrel of, well, we don't have cap space to replace them. So we could run it out and risk losing them for nothing. And I believe the flight risk for both is very, very real, particularly Brunson. Or we can pay a whole crap ton of money to keep both of them, and that's our team. And if we trapped ourselves into a team that's good but not good enough around a top five NBA player in his prime, or you could split the difference and pay one and not the other, but then you've made your team worse and blah, blah, which surely means if the Mavs are smart, they're at least looking at what could we get for these guys, particularly Brunson on the market now, either to make our team better or to increase our flexibility going forward with an eye on somehow making our team better in a year or two? I just don't know where those conversations are going to lead. You, make, you bring up John Collins. If I'm Atlanta, I'm, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know that I'm that interested in those guys. Brunson is the best guy that we've, we've just mentioned. And I, does he fit with Trey Young? I don't know. Like, I just don't know. But Dallas is sitting there in, in a in a very interesting and maybe precarious situation. Yeah, and then maybe it's a team like New York, right? I mean, we you hear everything about New York and Brunson, the point guard. There's no real path to get him because New York's a team that doesn't have room. So do we do you rope in a third team? I think and I don't look at Brunson on an expiring as a risk because whoever is going to trade for him, Zach, knows what they're going to pay him. I mean, that's that's the reality of it, right? Like you know, like you're going to pay him same with him. Jeremy Grant. If you're yeah. getting Jeremy Grant, you are signing up to pay him four years, 112 million. Yeah, you're you're signing him to the extension. So if it's if it's Brunson, you're doing your background. You know it's going to cost you. Is it Fred Van Vliet money? Right? I don't know. Is it four for 72 or four for 80? Which is a which is a big number. It's it's something that Dallas can't offer right now because they're restricted um, from an extension standpoint. They can only offer four for 55. And we, I think if there was going to be a deal done, it would have already been done. Do we know if they offered that deal? I don't think they did. I, I, I don't, don't think, know. I, I, mean, I, I don't, I'm not certain, but I don't, yeah, I don't I mean, think they and, did either. And I and think I, the, the Mavericks knew the, Hey, they knew the risk, right? They knew the risk that was involved because he had this unique contract. He was one of those rare players, um, that signed a straight four-year contract as a second-round pick. We always see teams put like a team option. You decline it, you make them restricted, and then you have some leverage. They knew the risk here. They kind of have an idea of what the ballpark, what the number is going to be. They realize they're going to be a tax team. Now, the reality is that you don't move him at the deadline, then you are you're somewhat forced to maybe overpay and bring him back. 
And you could you could always sign and trade. You can always yes. jump off that bridge later. Yep. There are ways to do it. But Jalen Brunson doesn't have to cooperate in a sign and trade. You can just sign wherever he wants. If he wants to sign to a cap space team, now Dallas could say, "Look, where are you going with cap space? You going to go to Oklahoma City? Do they even want you? You don't fit their infinite timetable. You going to go to Detroit? Play with Cade Cunningham in Detroit? No, I think you're going to do that. You going to go to San Antonio? Doesn't seem that plus. So Dallas could just sort of play it out that way and see what happens. But they're interesting to me. Let's go back to Grant for a second. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure Detroit's going to trade Jeremy Grant. Is can, are we going to get all the way to the deadline and Jeremy Grant's not traded? Like again, they could all. This could all be bluster, and they're just desperate to trade him, and they'll trade him for one first round pick and an okay player. But teams are under the impression they want two firsts, maybe a, a young, interesting player to go with them, or two really interesting young players and one first. And I, you know, Atlanta, we just talked about. I don't know what Chicago is going to do, but if I were them, I don't think I'd have the guts to trade Pat Williams, and I don't think they will. If I had to bet, I'd bet against them doing it, particularly now that they're slumping and injured and their whole season is kind of a little, not in disarray, but has been thrown for a loop a little bit. Memphis, people have asked me, why doesn't Memphis go get Jeremy Grant? They have three, they have three first-round picks in the next draft. They can't roster. They don't want, probably don't want to roster three more rookie players. I don't sense they're a Jeremy Grant team. doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And so, like, then you're like, well, Boston's been linked to Jeremy Grant a bunch of times. What are they really offering then? Um, I, I don't – who's out? who else is out there? Yeah, I mean, and I don't – like, Utah, I've heard Utah, right? Like, I, I just don't are see – Yeah, are they going to yeah, have to settle see... for one of these, like, Utah Lakers crapola offers? Yeah, and I don't, I don't think, think – so. I don't think you have to, right? You said it. Like, and I've heard the same thing is that, you know, um, they understand he's one of the probably the hot commodities – Set two second round picks. I don't. I don't think you do need to settle. It's not like it, you draw a line in the sand and say best offer come you know two fifty on on the tenth. And if you don't do anything, you wait into the off season. Then and in, if something comes better, usually trades always. There are better trades when you get into the off season because as you know, like teams get eliminated from the playoffs. They're desperate because they think they're better. Jeremy Grant's the missing piece, a little more flexibility in the offseason. But I don't see him being moved if it's one of these, you know, excuse my part of my French, half-ass, you know, offers. Well, you've got all of these teams. You know, Utah has Ingles and a first-round pick down the line. The Lakers have – we got to find a nickname for this – Taylor the, Horton the Tucker. Horton, the Horton Nunn in 2017 uh, – 2027 we, we got to find a nickname – for for this package because it's going to be mentioned for every player and if if Taylor I I'm somewhat intrigued by Taylor Horton Tucker if he's shooting twenty two percent from three or whatever he's shooting like it just doesn't have a lot of trade value Kendrick Nunn he, he just hasn't played and he's he hasn't played option. the whole season <laughs> I think that pick is actually being kind of scoffed at too much I think that twenty twenty seven pick is is a pretty could be a potentially valuable pick um, but. It, those, those those teams are going to look to upgrade. Utah's need for wing defense is, I think, obvious. I, I think they'll – if I'm Utah, I'm kicking the tires on a guy like Gary Harris. I think they've discussed Harrison Barnes. I don't know if they have the ammo to get Harrison Barnes. Sacramento's obviously got a, a, a lot of balls in the air. 
Minnesota's got Torian Prince in a first-round pick. I think Minnesota will be a buyer. I don't know what they what they can really get though. Is there a name that intrigues you with Minnesota? I don't. I don't. Yeah, I, I mean, don't, I mean, Terrence Ross intrigues me a little bit, but I, you know, you you got uh, Jalen Noel playing pretty well off your bench. You know, Beasley's a wild card. Um, I don't think it would. I don't think it cost you. It shouldn't cost you a first-round pick. So is it? Is it Prince and multiple twos, you know, like something yeah, like for, that? If but Orlando, if Orlando gets a first for either Ross or Harris, yeah. that's a home run. I don't expect them to be able to get. I, I don't either. Harris is a his is, he's got a big number. I mean, Terrence is more in that eleven million dollar range, so it's a little bit more manageable there. Um, but yeah, I mean, you that's, know what? Gary Harris has played well enough in the last has. two months. I'd take him over Terrence Ross. Terrence Ross. His shooting is up and down. It takes a lot of difficult shots. On a better team, you take easier shots. His shooting, I, I I trust. He just seems like the kind of player. He sounds good in theory. You see him on the right now, he's like, oh my god. And then you get him on your team, you're like, I can't trust this guy to guard. He doesn't play make for others. Like he's gonna be my ninth guy. I just see he's he's more exciting in theory than he is in real life. Well, and that's kind of going back to the Lakers. Like so, if it's. Um... If it's and it, I don't even know we call it a package. I, I have a Laker article coming out next week, so I'm gonna have to ask our editors to maybe we maybe we make up a name for the package because I'm it's referenced a lot in there. But if you're the Lakers, does not does um, Horton Tucker the Trojan non- horse the Lakers the Trojan <laughs> horse? <laughs> yeah, and to let them come in, and then all these things come out. <laughs> like, but does none Horton Tucker in three seconds for Gary Harris make sense if you're Orlando? Like, maybe, you know. No, I don't know. I that I, that just hurt my head a little bit, honestly. The thought of Taylor Horton Tucker in Orlando with their nine thousand centers and others. I like watching Orlando when I when Cole Anthony and Franz Wagner and Chuma Okiki and one center Wendell Carter Jr. has had a really nice yeah. year. When all there I'm on the floor, I like watching Orlando. When I, when the other guys get involved, I don't like watching them quite as much. And God bless Robin Lopez. Got to be the got to be. The happiest, easiest player in the league to deal with. Doesn't play ever. Doesn't seem to care. Sits there. He doesn't sit on the bench. He lays on the floor in like a half. Uh, uh, so, and he just watches the game and cheers. And then if they need him, like if someone's hurt, like, hey, Robin, come in. He makes seven hook shots and is puts up like 18 and 12 in 20 minutes. And, I don't know. And, and if they go to – and I'm sure if, if – um... If Jeff Watman goes to Robin after the deadline and says, Robin, are you interested in a buyout? Robin's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm he, Jeff Wolpin could go to go to him and say, Robin, I want to. I'm trading you to Oklahoma City, but before then, could you be the entertainment at my kid's birthday party? Just as a goodbye present to me, and he'd be like, Yeah, where do I sign up? That sounds great. Like, you need me to make some hook shots in the game before then. He just what a what a nice guy. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream. Your team. Call 1 800 Direct TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, 
Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. The team that I think of all of these teams that kind of have these like little middling packages, the team that I'm most interested in that we haven't talked about is the team with the best scoring margin in the Eastern Conference. And that's the Cleveland Cavaliers, who have Ricky Rubio's expiring contract, a first-round pick or more picks to trade. But more than that, they have Sexton. And they like Colin Sexton. They think Colin Sexton is really good. I think Colin Sexton is a nice player. I've said before that I don't think a 24-point-per-game season on efficient shooting has been upon to the degree that Colin Sexton's season last year has been ever in the history of the NBA. Like people just totally disregard that as if it's just complete empty calories. I do think their success with their current group has to have them thinking, is there a way we can flip him for something that better fits our team and or our timeline? And a good player's matching rights are really valuable. And he's going to be a restricted free agent. Whoever has him will have matching rights. I don't know what they can get for that package. I don't know how much of that they're actually willing to trade for some of the names they've been linked to, but they clearly need another ball handler. And I I mean, the longer this goes on, they keep winning. Like Jared Allen gets sick. They beat the Knicks with Dean Wade and Ed Davis as two of their three starters with Markin and also her. Like they just keep winning games. I, I don't, they may just say, what the hell? Let's try and go get a guy. And, and, and I have some names, but what, what's interesting about They also have the Rockets' second-round pick, which is, which is an interesting— Why wouldn't they call Houston and be like, we'll give you back your second-round pick with Ricky Rubio for Eric Gordon? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they also have—they um, just got that it's disabled player exception for Rubio. It's about $8.9 million, so you're looking at— you know, guys on one-year contracts, the hard part is you're $3.5 below the luxury tax. And I, I don't believe there's an appetite there. But, man, they got a little bit of everything, as you said. Like, besides the Rubio expiring contract, Sexton, is it better off now? Or do you look at in the offseason when um, you can maybe do a sign-in trade and maybe bring back more? And I do think you have to be careful that and – I, and, I, and I saw I saw Perk talking about it on, on the NBA Today about, like, you can't always think that your window is always open, right? Like, oh, yeah, you know, we can just stay pat. You know, don't rock the boat. Like, this Eastern Conference is pretty open. You know, who knows what's going to happen in Brooklyn? And I think Milwaukee and Miami are going to be fine, but Chicago's got the injuries. I've been meaning to bring this up just because you mentioned them now. What's, when do we start looking at Milwaukee and being like, what the what's going on here? Like, they're 30 and 20. They're fine, right? They're missing – uh, Brooke Lopez, they've had guys in and out of the lineup all season between DiVincenzo, Grace, and Allen just got suspended for a, yet another takedown of somebody. Um, Alex Caruso, who's injured now um, and out for a while. And 
and, and each of their three stars has has missed other than Giannis. I think Giannis you have missed six or seven games due to COVID, whatever it was. They've all missed time. And you keep leaning on, well, they've been really good with their big three together. They've been really good. And they, they're plus 7.6 per 100 possessions with their big three together. That's just good. Like, what you, you'd want that number to be like 12 or 13 to be sitting here confident. And I, I was wrong about Milwaukee. I thought once they got healthy, they'd start rolling off wins. That hasn't happened. I don't know what they can do at the deadline, but you just brought them up. I don't know why. I, I've lost my connection to Cleveland yeah, at this I mean, point, Milwaukee, I mean, we'll go back to Cleveland. Milwaukee. It's going to be a challenge, right? Your picks are going out in the holiday trade to New Orleans. Um, you've got a, you're like another one of these teams that has a bench full of minimum guys. You've got a roster spot. Um, as you said, DiVincenzo is really kind of your big asset, I guess, if you're looking at moving um, somebody and you just went into Cleveland and got your, your butts kicked with a, you know, your a healthy line, you know, certainly they played Lopez. everyone. They yeah. played almost everyone. Yeah, and um, and you got you got waxed pretty good, and you ha- and you have been inconsistent. So, I think that the the championship championship equity, I guess, carries over where you're thinking, yeah, they're going to be fine. They'll figure it out when they get they, there. They they also once you win, there's also a a wake me up when it starts to matter thing. But that said, you don't want to mess around and like draw Brooklyn in the first round right now. Brooklyn, Milwaukee is the four or five series. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and so you go back, let's go back to Cleveland real, real, real quick here. I mean, does Carol's Karis Levert do anything for you, right? That's kind of a name out there. You mentioned Eric Gordon um, because of the Rubio contract. Um, does, um, Rubio and a, a lottery protected first for Levert do anything for Indiana? Like, does that like I don't see Karis Levert fetching two first round picks. Like, it doesn't like I don't I just don't see the value there. The Karis Levert has one more year on his contract after this year. He's been okay this yeah. year. He was really bad in the first month. Obviously, he's coming off a massively dangerous medical problem that thank God has passed and injuries and other stuff. So I'm willing to just sort of wash that away. And in the last month, he's been a little better. But he's still a guy that's like below average shooter, okay playmaker, shoot first more than playmaker. Shoot first, but just an okay shooter. And he's one year left on his contract to $19 million. Could he help the Cavs? Sure. Does he fit their timeline? Sure. I'm not giving up the farm for him. Yeah. Rubio and a lottery protected first? I think that's fine. And, and if I'm Indiana, maybe I just say no. I'll, I'll just keep Karis LeVert and – can I can I lighten the protection to top whatever top seven top eight to make me feel a little better? And, and does Cleveland have the guts to do that? Maybe I don't know. It's, I I do think that's a name that the Cavs have looked at. Um, I've also heard not se- separately from the Cavs that people are calling the Spurs and trying trying to see if they can get Derek White or even Dejounte Murray. Um, and I, I would assume the Spurs will bat the Murray stuff away, but. That's th- those are interesting names for teams that need guards and uh, and obviously I'd, and this is not linked to Cleveland at all but Marcus Smart's name is is as always in the in the ether I don't think that's really a fit in Cleveland but Lavert's an interesting one yeah I mean um, San Antonio I mean they've got the stable right it feels like they draft guards every year you know whether it be Murray White uh, Josh Primo um, Devin Vassell um, that's that's your stable. Lonnie Walker, if you consider him, you know, he's going to be a restricted free agent. Um, they've got a nice group there. So what does one of those – does? what does Derek White get you to maybe kind of balance out your roster? I think you certainly listen. But I think if – Murray I think is hard. I mean, he's 
he's going to get some consideration for All Star. I think. Um, I don't oh, think he gets in. I, no, I don't think he no gets question, in, but he's going to get so he's going to get a lot of consideration. I mean, he might get in and he might deserve it. Uh, yeah, Kevin Pelton and I are doing our All Stars after this, and his name is going to come up. Yeah. Um, so that's your you know another team probably don't have to do anything right now. They, they're the one the teams that are going to be sitting on a. A boatload of room. You know, they're the one of three or four teams that are going to be sitting on $35, 40 million dollars of cap space. The Spurs? Yeah, this offseason. Yep. Can we find a center for Charlotte? I mean, do you think the price of Miles Turner has come down? I mean, I mean, I, I, the intel I've gotten is that, I mean, this is maybe a day or two old, but I think teams are looking at that as... Yeah, I, I'm a, not sure we a, can. Get, I'm not sure we can go there right now. Yeah, um, but maybe something has changed in the last 24 hours. I mean, that's certainly a name that Charlotte has been very, very interested. in. I think even more so than Sabonis, both because the price for Sabonis will be higher, and I think what Charlotte really wants is either a shooter, which is Turner, or a rim runner. Um, you know, that's why Rashawn Holmes has come up with them before. I'll say though, people are fake trading PJ Washington left and right because he's sort of the there's always an odd man out on these young teams, right? They, they, they can't pay everybody odd man out. That's what Cam Reddish was. And I'm not comparing P.J. Washington to Cam Reddish. P.J. Washington's good. Yeah. And he, he's getting better. He's good and he's getting better. And they have – that team's got a nice vibe to them. I'm not trading him for some average to below average starting center. Like Rashawn Holmes is good. I like Rashawn Holmes. I'm not trading PJ Washington for him. I'm not trading him for Daniel Gafford or something. Would I trade him for Miles Turner? Maybe. But some of these other center Montres Harold, I'm just keeping PJ Washington. Yeah, I mean you I mean one of the things I do is we I study, you know, you being in the league and looking at what the teams have done. Like Mitch Kupchak is very conservative, right? He's very conservative at the deadline. Is it because maybe the teams he's had have been in the lottery? Certainly the Laker teams no, um, you are snipping at the sixth seed, right? What are you about? Like two in the loss column, probably behind, um, you know, I think uh, who's in the sixth? Philly right now? Or, Philly you know, six, Charlotte's three in the loss column. Three in the loss yeah. column. So do you have something that you can make up great uh, ground and get out of that plan, right? Or are you content being the seven, winning a game and getting into a, you know, into the top eight there. Charlotte's also played 20 home games and 29 road yeah. games. So they're, they're due a whole bunch of home games. I think they're legitimately good. I think Charlotte's a solid team. I was high on them to start the season. <clears throat> uh, they're better than I thought they would be even. They're good. Um, well, they sustained the, the, you know, the tough part when they went out West and got their, their butts rear end and they've kind of stabilized things now. Has, is there a team we haven't brought up or a player we haven't brought up that we should talk about that you or that you really want to talk about? I'm interested in New York. Like I, you know, in the trade guide, um, I, I was really conservative because I, I based it on continuity, patience, right? Like New York. But man, like watching them against Miami, um, you know, watching them in, in recent games here, like are you content just kind of riding out this group here? Like – but you have so many young players, like outside of the uh, quickly Toppin, Robinson, Barrett, um, Grimes group, like what does Evan Fournier do for you? What does Kemba Walker do? Alec Burks, like guys like that. I don't know if there's enough there unless New York's trying to add uh, draft picks that can bring you back something. And here's, here's something I wrote about, and I don't, want, I don't want our producer Dan to end the podcast right here. And I think you're going to fall off your seat. I'd call the Lakers. 
I'd call the Lakers for Russell Westbrook. Whoa! I, yep. Whoa! I, I would call. I would call. And here's and here's the reason why. And I wait, I wait, 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 wait. What's the trade? What am I? What's I need? I need. I thought you were going to bring up the Trojan horse again. I I need the whole nope. trade. Give me the trade. I'm offering Kemba Walker, Burks, and Fournier for uh, Russell Westbrook and a 2027 lottery protected first from the Lakers. That's the trade I'm offering. So I'm the Lakers. I'm getting Kemba, Fournier, and Burks. And Burks. And I'm I and I'm giving up Westbrook and my pick, the pick that I I don't the pick that I reportedly don't want to give up for the John Wall Russell Westbrook retrade. Um, I, I'm gonna need a second, Bobby. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need a second. Um, hey, I, I have it on ink. I put it in that trade guide today. That will we'll re uh, will will redo it, and this goes out next week. And I'm just thinking, like, what I'm looking at from New York is: Does Russell Westbrook make forty-seven million dollars next year? Yes. It's different than the situation in, in in Los Angeles, where you have like six guys and you're signing minimums. You got all these young kids already there. You got five or six under contract next year. You got Randall there. You still have your – you're not a tax team. Hey, all the, all the flaws of Russell Westbrook, that guy, he competes, right? He's a competitor. He's a wild card. I, I'm just watching a Knicks team that is so lethargic right now where their second unit is better than their first. Some of these guys don't even feel like they don't even care. So you're um, interesting. You're trying to spin this trade as it might help my team as the Knicks. I thought the trade was like, we're just getting off all of these contracts. It, like Fournier's contract runs through 2025. Well, Fournier's a team option, so really 2024. I'm just getting off money and getting a pick. I viewed it from that. You're you're trying to sell no, me. Like, I'm, no, I'm Russ, selling you. I'm Russ selling is going to electrify the garden. Uh, you know what? Hey, Houston thought it. Washington thought it. The Lakers thought it. <laughs> And now here's the fourth team here. And I think that's my spin here. Is it crazy? Yeah. But I'm just – I mean, I watched the Nick game last night. And, you know, Jeff Van Gundy was doing it. And he was like – he's like – he's like, this is like insanity, right? Like it's like the same thing. Like they're just – they're not good enough. And I don't feel like they – you know, this is me talking. I just don't feel like this roster right now cares enough. Um, I'm – my educated guess is that they would – they would deal Fournier. I, I think it would cost them to get off Fournier, which is really, you know, when you talk about that, that's why you're bringing up this trade. I know the vultures are circling and they're getting a lot of calls about quickly. And I think they're batting those calls away as they should, but the vultures are circling and trying to poach somebody from the Knicks. Uh, and quickly is the name that keeps coming up. It's going to be, maybe it will be interesting. Maybe it won't be interesting. We'll see, but it's always a fun uh, couple of weeks uh, of, of noise. A lot of noise coming up. Bobby, I can't wait to read the trade guide. Um, you do incredible work for us. It's nice to see you. Uh, and I'm sure that I will be leaning on you heavily in the next couple of weeks as we negotiate this, uh, this trade deadline. Thank I, you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Zach. The Peabody and Emmy Award-winning 30 for 30 documentary film series presents The Tuck Rule, a documentary that examines one of the most controversial plays in sports history. See the legendary Charles Woodson and Tom Brady discuss for the first time the call that changed it all. Watch live February 6th at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN, also available next day on ESPN+. For the ones who get it done! Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus... 
Their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's welcome in Seattle Kraken number one fan, ESPN. I don't know what your title is, Kevin. I just call you ESPN guru and writing machine, Kevin Pelton. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. The The title is meaningless. I'll, I'll go with that. Uh, I Titles are all meaningless. As soon as they stopped being, as soon as general manager became like the third guy in command at front offices behind the president of basketball operations and czars, I, they've lost all meaning. Um so I want to go through with you. It's it's all star time. The starters are being. We're recording this three o'clock Thursday. I don't, I looked. I just did the thing where I looked at my wrist as if I was wearing a watch, and I am not wearing a watch. I never wear. I've never worn a watch my whole life, Kevin. Really? Never. No. You know why? I, I shouldn't say never. I've worn watches. I tried to be a watch guy, and I could never get past the stage where I feel the watch on my wrist, and it bothers me because I feel it there. Everyone's like, you just got to give it a week or 10 days. You'll get used to it. You won't even know it's there. I just, so I'm out. And now my phone is a watch. Why do people wear watch? People spend like $12,000 on watches. What are they doing? That's when I stopped being a watch guy. As soon as I got accustomed to the cell phone and knowing that I had the time with me in my pocket every all, all day long, no longer necessary. Because I also did not like the feel on my wrist. Well, there you go. All right. I want to pick I want to pick our full 12-man All-Star teams. The starters are being announced tonight, thus my checking of the time on TNT. We will get the five starters for each conference. I want to go 12 deep. Normally, I write a column uh, on this. I have not had the brain power to do so uh, right now, but I'm going to make – we're going to do our full 12-man rosters. Rapid fire. Western Conference. Kevin Pelton, give me your starting lineup, two guards, three front court players. As far as I'm concerned, there are probably – Three, that probably four and maybe five locks for this, depending on your perspective on the guards. I know you have a different perspective, perhaps, than some. So give me your five starters, Western Conference. Yeah, I mean, in the front court, I think Draymond Green's injury probably clarified this that it's going to be Gobert, LeBron, and Jokic are going to be the, they're not necessarily the the players who are going to be announced as the starters on TNT tonight. But I think those are probably the consensus front court starters at this point, right? Yes, those are my three front court starters, and uh, no brainer for me. If, 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 whether Draymond Green was injured or not, uh, I think those are going to be my three. And I love Draymond; I have him as a reserve. We'll we'll get there, but those are my three. Yes, and that leaves the two guards, which is uh, a, a little a little uh, more maybe competitive. As Steph Curry has slumped and slumped, and by his standards, anyway, slumped down to like mortality, kind of. Yeah, same as far as. Uh, Draymond Green, both elements of that I would have I would have Gobert anyway, and and I have him as a reserve. But in the backcourt, I think I do have a different perspective. To me, after you after Steph, the rest of the West guards, it's all pretty muddled, and it's more a matter of taste who's going to end up starting. I think 
there's a group of four or five guys who are locks to make the roster, and one of them is going to start. And my pick was in an orthodox one. I went with Chris Paul here. And I'm going to make the case for Chris Paul by talking about Bismack Biombo's stats, because I think that's there's been no greater tribute to Chris Paul's ability than the fact that Bismack Biombo is all of a sudden averaging 18 points per 36 minutes and shooting 67% from the field this season, both of which are career highs by a massive margin. I know a lot of people pointed to his season with the Raptors that got him paid uh, when the Orlando Magic signed him to that big contract. He averaged nine points per 36 minutes in the playoffs. Well, and the, and the cap the cap spike got him paid that as too. much as that season. Yeah. But it was still all about his rebounding and defense. He wasn't scoring. He's never scored. And all of a sudden, you put him in pick and roll with Chris Paul. And granted, that's also the sun spacing and everything that you've written about that they do on the backside of those pick and rolls to keep defenses occupied. But he's suddenly a pick and roll machine, can't can't be stopped as a finisher. And I think that's the greatest testament to Chris Paul's value. I think DeAndre Ayton and his agent are listening to this and getting progressively angrier and angrier and angrier. And I say that somewhat in jest because obviously, as we've seen in the playoffs, the pick and roll lob catching finishing is one thing. And, and I do think Booker, Paul, spacing does make that easier for whether it's Bismack Biombo, JaVale McGee, DeAndre Ayton. Sticks has had some minutes for Phoenix. Like you can pretty much get a big man out of central casting and they're going to dunk their way to eight points. But what we saw from Aiden in the playoffs, obviously defense rebounding, the ability to punish switches with post moves and a soft touch is a totally different ballgame. I do think it's just funny though, that we had this whole drama of like, can you believe they didn't just max him out immediately at the first possible second? And all of a sudden every center guys have like not even been in the league coming and they get like 15 and 12. Uh, so wait, so you're starting Chris Paul and, and Steph. Those are your two starting guards. Yes. So therefore not John Moran and not Luka Doncic. Well, I don't think Luka deserves to be a starter. I mean, I think that I think that's an easy one given the given his slow start to the season. Um, but I, I I have so my starting five is the same as yours, except I have Morant over Chris Paul. And as as you said, it's interesting though that it's interesting. Why is what? And I don't disagree with the notion. I am curious, so particularly as Booker has had some monster games over the last two weeks. Why is it like a no brainer? that Chris Paul is, is more valuable than Devin Booker. Why, why is I like, I had someone text me a couple weeks ago saying, why is there, why is Chris Paul the MVP candidate on the Suns and not Devin Booker? And you look at the advanced stats and the advanced stats say Chris Paul is the MVP candidate of the Suns and not Devin Booker. What, what are those stats seeing? What, why is that happening? Because the raw numbers for Booker's raw numbers are like outrageously good again. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is still the fact that he doesn't necessarily make a lot of plays that register in the box score defensively. And that's one of those things where, you know, when guys are valued lower by the advanced stats, even when they get better offensively, that kind of component still is a differentiator between where they rank statistically and where they rank in conventional wisdom, which I don't think puts puts as much emphasis on those things. I, I think it's a much more legitimate debate between Booker and Paul this season as compared to last year. To me, it was very clearly Chris Paul. Uh, if you adjust for position in those advanced stats, which is one of the things I did when I put together my version of your traditional spreadsheet with all of the the, the various advanced stats, Booker and Paul are right there next to each other because of the fact that the average shooting guard rates much worse in those stats than the average point guard. So I, I think it's a reasonable question. I, I still lean Paul be, partially because, and this is part of the reason why Doncic was a contender for the starting lineup for me. 
I tend to look at it a little more as who's the best player rather than who's had the best three months. That's fair. I think Booker's size and just raw scoring ability is super, super valuable and maybe undervalued by some of those stats. But I, I've, I'm a Chris Paul point guard accolade. I, I, I believe that those numbers are catching lots of different things. The fact that he's still a very good defensive player. He doesn't guard uh, on the ball. Uh, elite ball handler types as much as he used to. He's often off the ball, but off the ball, he's super dangerous as like a ball hawk, a steals guy. He can switch onto much bigger players and they try to move him. They're like, oh, dude, uh oh, this is like a cinder block in my butt. I can't move it. Um, and I just think, and we're going to, I assume we're going to talk about this with Fred Van Vliet. Just the ability to do a lot of stuff and never turn the ball over and always be a threat, like moving and cutting and screening. Like those stats are ca- like not turning the ball over. And doing lots of stuff, we're not good at. We're, we're very good at noticing things that happen, like a bat, like Russell Westbrook dribbling the ball off his foot for the seventh time in a game. We're very bad at noticing things that don't happen. So, like when Chris Paul has one turnover in forty minutes, we don't really. It's like some people will say, "Oh wow, you only had one turnover," but we don't. It's not something that like jumps off the page. All right, so my starting lineup was Steph, Morant, LeBron, Gobert, Jokic. Yours was the same thing, but Paul for Morant. Obviously, you're going to have uh, Morant as an all-star reserve. I have Chris Paul as an all-star reserve. Um, Give me, I don't know if you ranked them. Give me like your first five Western Conference all-star reserves. I don't, I, I, for me, the line is like, I guess I have six that I feel pretty good about it. Just give me, give me, give me all your Western Conference. Just give them all, give them to all to me. Well, I think one of the questions here is what do you do with Doncic now that he is a reserve could you consider sliding him over to forward because of the fact that, you know, if you consider Jalen Brunson the point guard when he plays with Doncic, that Doncic is probably a forward in those lineups because the guard pool is maybe a little deeper, uh, particularly in guys who have played well this season. I ended up not doing that. So I like my ranking in the backcourt was, you know, probably Morant, Booker. Like, again, I think very close, that group and Chris Paul. And then Doncic is one of the wild cards. And then Donovan Mitchell. I mean, I think all those guys deserve to be on the team. Uh, in the front court, you know, Draymond is obvious. I think Carl Anthony Towns is probably pretty obvious. And it's just that last spot that it really comes down to and became, becomes very much an eye of the beholder. As I mentioned— All right, so stop, stop there. Stop there because that's a suspenseful spot. So okay. I, I, I don't care. I didn't even consider positions for the backup. I, I have to check back in with the league because I checked with the league like two years ago because I know that they have this like wild card guard forward, whatever. And I, be, I checked with the league office two years ago and I was like, how much positional flexibility do the coaches actually have? And what was relayed to me was basically you can do almost whatever you want within like any kind of reason any stretch of the imagination to get the seven that you deserve on the team. So I just kind of stopped dealing with all that and just here are the seven. So whatever positions. So my first six were Booker, Chris Paul, which is, which is Morant for you. Um, Cat, no brainer, Mitchell, easy Draymond. Look, you can tell me the raw numbers. He's only played like a thousand minutes. He only plays 29.9 minutes a game. Blah, blah, blah. He's averaging nine points. He's Draymond Green. He's the best defense player in the NBA. He's the best passer on on the Warriors. He's the engine uh, that gets them moving in transition. He's, we know what he is. And Luka, I think, has played his way onto the team just by virtue of Dallas had this nice little surge. Uh, I, think, I, I like this Dallas starting five with Brunson in the starting five as, as the second ball handler. Uh, Luka has started to play better. Uh, and, you know... and. They're they're still minus eight 
for the season with Doncic on the floor, but that was minus a hell of a lot before this surge. And he's, he's Luka Doncic. He's the centerpiece of everything they do. He's the centerpiece of every scattering report. I'm fine with him. That's six. The last one, I mean, you could talk me into any number of guys, Kevin. So who did you give it to? And maybe I'll just ride with you. Going to my philosophy of this is more about the best players than who's had the best three months, as much as it pains me not to pick Seattle native DeJounte Murray, who's had the best, I think, three months of any of these guys, I went with Anthony Davis for that last spot. I, you know what? When you started, when you started the going back to my philosophy of best player, I was like, he's going to do it, isn't he? He's going to take AD, despite that AD, despite the fact that AD just came back against the Nets. Two, two days, I don't know, two days ago, whenever that was, and has played, I don't know, 28 games, I think, this 28, season. 28, yep. Um, and there's this perception that he's been too heavy, not fat, but heavy, too muscular. He's put on too much weight. Bill Simmons, my friend, has said this a lot. Too slow. Obviously, the jump shot is, like, beyond broken temporarily, I hope, because I, I do believe that he's not this bad of a jump shooter. Um and I, I'm like, he's going to do it, isn't he? And you know what? He's on my short list here because I'm just so underwhelmed by all these other candidates. And I do. I, I wonder what you think of this. I think he's actually had an underrated... I, I think there's been too much criticism of Anthony Davis this season because I, to me, does he look a little bulkier? I guess, but to, to me, defensively, he still looks really good. He's shooting 56% on twos. That's a career high. His two-point shooting percentage is the best of his career. I, he's shooting like 12% or something horrific on threes or 18%. I, I, if you take away the three-pointers and I realize that you can't just wish away these things, I, and, and some of the long twos, I guess, has is, is also been shaky, I, I think he's had like a pretty darn good Anthony Davis season. I'm going to look up his long twos now, but I think – Everyone is focused so much on the negatives. Like I, he's made like a lot of game-changing defensive plays late in games. Like he's still Anthony Davis. I mean, I think the threes are a big part of the reason my philosophy is what it is because you're gonna have fluky three-point shooting over a sample like this, especially when you have an injury that is not something at this point that looks like is going to affect his availability in the second half of the season. And it's very possible that we look back in April and be like, how is there even a question whether Anthony Davis was an all-star, especially given that this guy was probably the best player in the playoffs as recently as, what was that, 16 months ago when we were in the bubble? Uh, 42% but... on long twos. That's actually better that's better than any of his last three seasons, according to Cleaning the Glass. So it's really just now he, he looks like his shot looks so nice. Like at the release point is nice. It's kind of soft. Like forty two percent doesn't sound good. It's not really good, but it's it's better than he's been. Last year was thirty six percent. The year before thirty three. It's really just the threes. I think he's been pretty damn good this year. I don't have a problem with that choice. I. I, I really just couldn't make a choice. And you and you hit the guy that I want to pick is DeJounte Murray. And, you know, he's he's averaging like very good, like 19, 8, and 8. Good, good kind of triple-double numbers. He's shooting really well on long twos. Um, doesn't get to the rim. Doesn't finish at the rim. Doesn't get to the line. His three-point shooting, I'm pretty optimistic about him being a, a, an average catch-and-shoot three-point shooter eventually. Off the dribble is a different story. But I just keep coming back. I was watching the Thunder the other night, so that's a, that's always a fun sentence to throw at someone at the party at a party. <laughs> I was watching the Thunder. I was watching the Oklahoma City Thunder the other night. Do you see what Kenrich Williams was up to in that game? <laughs> oh, you don't know who that is. Oh, I'm an abnormal person. Okay, uh, so I was watching the Thunder the other night, 
And Shea Gilgis Alexander, who's had a, a pretty bad shooting season, especially from three, and I don't think is really factoring into this discussion, was just getting to the lane, getting to the rim at will. Like I, I don't even remember who they were playing. Whatever, whoever they were playing, just couldn't do anything with him. He was getting wherever he wanted to go all the time. And the team stinks, obviously. They stink on purpose. But I just I watched that game and I'm like, I just as an opposing coach. I'm just more worried about Shea Gilgis-Alexander than I am about DeJounte Murray. Now, DeJounte Murray is a better defensive player. He's an all-defense-level player at his peak. I don't think he's been quite that good this season as his offensive burden has increased. He gets them steals. He gets them out on the run, which the Spurs really need. So I understand we're just talking about offense right now. Shea's an okay defensive player. I, I don't think he's been as good as he profiled as early in his career, in part because he's the number one option on a bad team. But I just imagine, like, I just... I don't really feel threatened by DeJounte Murray shooting 12 long twos a game. I just It doesn't doesn't scare me as much, so I, I wouldn't have a problem picking him. I had him penciled in. Can I throw you a couple other candidates? Sure. How about Anthony Edwards? Yeah. I mean, everyone's talking about Andrew Wiggins because of no, the fact that the Warriors— No, not even on the— sh- Stop. Need. Stop. Yeah. But Edwards and Wiggins, their, their overall numbers are almost identical. They're very similar. Edwards are better. Yeah. No, I mean that. Yeah. Mike Conley playing just as well as last season. He was he was the next guy on my list after Dejounte Murray. I just can't. I can't do it. I can't do it with Mike Conley. I I was happy to give him the honorable one last season. And again, the, for the second straight year, the advanced stats are like, oh my god, Mike Conley. Oh my god, Mike Conley. He's averaging fourteen a game, I think, and I was shooting the hell out of it as as he has the last couple of years. You just when you watch Utah. I, again, I like I don't. Mike Conley's like a is almost. This is going to sound bad. He he's like almost a luxury. He's the ceiling. He's the thing that pushes that team from really good to potentially great. What? But I just don't see him doing as much heavy lifting as as Mitchell and Gobert in particular. It's 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 just hard for me to get there with Mike Conley. Like yeah, he deserves one of these twelve spots. Brandon Ingram didn't really factor much into my decision. Just make, you're just making a face. Um, <laughs> I guess I would just hold my nose and go with DeJounte Murray and just, I, I just, I, I don't know. Anthony Davis is fine. I don't care. I'll just pick a name out of a hat. Uh, we have to, we have to, um, we have to pause for one second and talk about this. Just an absolute epic tweet uh, last night as we're talking about Western Conference All-Stars from my friend, Nick Wright, who is awesome at his job and one of the sweetest people in this business. So Nick Wright, I love you. I have to roast you over this tweet. Here's the tweet as the Nuggets were losing to uh, the Nets, the JV Nets, as as Nick calls them at halftime. I know that no one is allowed to question Nikola Jokic's place atop the NBA pyramid due to his Vorp, Bipum, and Pi scores. First of all, no one looks at Pi scores, Nick. Not, not a single person ever looked at whatever Pi is. Despite his one career victory after round two of the playoffs, but he's getting outplayed by LaMarcus Aldridge and losing by 11 to the Nets JV team at the half. That was Nick's way of saying he's not the MVP. So let me just gently rebut this. And I'm not saying I would vote for Nikola Jokic as MVP right now because God knows what Joel Embiid has done in the last month has been so beyond superhuman and extraordinary that it merits all of our attention. Um, you, the, here's the thing that annoys me about the anti-Jokic arguments. It's always about VORP and BIPM and pies and on-off numbers. You don't have to ignore all of those. He's averaging 27, 14, and 8 
I'm like 58% shooting. You don't need to do any advanced math. You don't need to look up any statistics that have existed since 1975 to make the MVP case for Nikola Jokic. You don't even have to say they're plus 10 with him on the floor, which is elite, and minus 13 with him off the floor, which is the Washington Generals costing Krusty the Clown thousands and thousands of dollars. You don't have to get into any of that. Just use the raw numbers. Number two, Nick goes on to say that Embiid and Giannis are his MVP favorites because of their place in the standings. Well, look, the Sixers are 28 and 19. They're sixth in the East. The Nuggets are 26 and 21. They're sixth in the West. Two games separate them in the standings. Now, Nick would rightfully say, well, the Nuggets are 12 games back, a distant six. The Sixers are two and a half games back of the number one seed. But is it Nikola Jokic's fault that the Suns are amazing and are running away with the Western Conference and that the Heat, the Bulls, the Cavs, the Nets have taken all these injuries and the East is squeezed? No, there's almost no difference qualitatively between the 76ers and the Nuggets. The end, what Jokic is doing is incredible. He's still on pace for the highest player efficiency rating of all time. He's getting these 2020 games in like two and a half quarters. It's absolutely ridiculous. Am I voting for him for MVP? I think right now I probably would, but it's extremely, extremely close with a bunch of guys. But this idea that it's these two ideas that number one, it's all the advanced stats. All these people are shepherding these arcane acronyms to back this case is ridiculous. And number two, the Sixers are really not better than the Nuggets. The Sixers are probably a little better than the Nuggets, but considering who the Nuggets are missing, that gap to me is almost meaningless. I'm, I'm done. Nick Wright, I love you. I love you. Come on the low post. We'll talk about Nikola Jokic for 45 minutes. Yeah, you got to the, at the very end to the fact that, oh, by the way, the Nuggets' second and third best players are both injured. One of them hasn't played all season. One of them wasn't any good because of the injury when he did play, and it's been a couple months since he did. So the fact that the Nuggets are where they are is actually really impressive. Let's move to the East. I'm angry now, Kevin. Let's move to the East. Nick, you've made me angry. Well, Go, who are the Chiefs playing this week? Go other team. Who is it? They're Bengals, yes. The Bengals. Go Bengals. I can name one Go guy on the Bengals. One guy. Icky Woods. <laughs> Give me your Eastern Conference All-Star starters, Kevin. I'm well, fired up now. Give me your Eastern Conference All-Star starters. The disrespect to Boomer Esiason. All right, my Eastern Conference starters. The the front court is even easier than the West, I think. It's Giannis, KD, Embiid, despite KD's injury. You know, obviously he deserves to start. Uh, the backcourt, again, I think there's one clear guy and then probably about seven players in the East who are in a similar tier in the backcourt. And that one clear guy who is not actually a guard, but is on the ballot at guard. So that's where I cast my official vote is DeMar DeRozan, who's been outstanding this season. And for my second spot, I went with, you said we were going to talk about him, Fred Van Vliet. Oh, because you, you, of your vorps and pies <laughs> and bipums and schnorps. My starting five, I should say I have a ballot for the starters. So these are like my official choices for the starters, which count for one half of one millionth of a percent in the, the voting total, uh, were Trey Young, DeMar DeRozan, Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Embiid. So the only difference was I had Trey, you had Van Vliet. I had Van Vliet, Van Vliet as a reserve. Um, so, and I assume you had Trey Young. I'm guessing you had Trey Young as a reserve. So no harm, no foul either way. I will allow you to make the case for... Uh, Fred Van Vliet, and and I will then explain to you why I did not start him, but I do I do believe he deserves to be on the team. 
Yeah, I mean, you already made much of it with that Chris Paul conversation. I mean, I think the other aspect of it is offensively, when you account for his low turnover rate, I think he's in the same ballpark as these other guys. And then he's much more useful at the defensive end of the court because of similar reasons to Chris Paul, his ability to guard bigger players, use his size, low center of gravity, things like that. you know, in particular, in contrast to Trey Young and, and the Hawks defense, which has struggled this season, I think that's what gave him the nod. I went into it assuming I was going to vote for Young and DeRozan, but Van Vliet, just when I looked at it, leaped over Young from that standpoint. Although, again, you know, he's very much part of the team. The the one thing I worry about is, you know, the, the Raptors are 500 after losing last night in Chicago. Our coach is going to not think they deserve an all-star because of that. And number one, they've outscored opponents on the season. Number two, they're 500 because they're one in four in the games that Fred Van Fleet hasn't played. Like and this guy is three, very much an all-star. Number three, send the Raptor mascot to Cleveland just to troll Devin Booker the entire time. <laughs> and I love the fact that all of the other mascots have banded together in defense of the Raptor who has to mascot as a verb. He has to mascot for no fans. Um, Fred Van Vliet's in. The, my only concern with him is he is prone to these like eight of 25 games where a lot of the shot, the lot of the makes are threes. So it ends up kind of coming out in the wash, but he's shooting 46% on twos. He's a pretty low forties, two point shooter for his career. And and I just, when the chips are down, I, I trust bigger players a little more than him, uh, but as, as a finisher anyway, but he's been outstanding. He deserves to be on the team. Let's get to where the rubber meets the road. Your seven Eastern Conference reserves, one of whom is Trey Young. So give me your other six. And I actually think this is this is a more interesting debate than the Western Conference. I think there are fewer sort of obvious ones in the East than there are in the West. All right. In the backcourt, along with Young, I have James Harden. And then both of my wild cards were also guards. Zach Levine, who is, that's probably underselling him to put him that low in the rankings. And then Drew Holiday, who you know, I think his, his importance to the Bucks has been underscored by his absence this season. He's, he's pretty clearly, in my mind, been their second best player after Giannis ahead of Chris Middleton. Uh, and then the front court guys I had were Jared Allen, who's kind of having the mini Gobert season in Cleveland. Uh, Jimmy Butler, who if you were going to threaten that he's front court starters, I don't think is that far behind them. And the last probably most interesting pick is Jason Tatum, who number one, by finally getting some regression to the mean and, and even some gambler's fallacy, evening out on three is the last couple games here, has put his advanced stats in the same ballpark I think the other contenders, but also just if you're going by pick the best players, he's clearly got a better track record than the other players who are in this mix. So uh, let's make clear my ballot, which I filled out uh, whenever it was due, (laughs) the day it was due, is a starters only ballot. Everything from here on out doesn't count for anything, fans. Okay, so don't get mad. So we agree on the following guys. Uh, Trey Young slash Van Vliet. I have Van Vliet as a reserve. You have Trey Young, whatever. Jimmy Butler has to be in despite the limited number of games played. He's been so dominant as a, as like a 21-7-7 kind of player despite the fact that he, again, can't shoot threes. He's such a dominant defender. The Heat are the number one team in the East. Rarely do I get too far into the Team X has to have an all-star. Team Y shouldn't have two all-stars kind of, kind of weeds. Um, I, I think... The Heat have to have an all-star. This is a case where they've got to get somebody, and it's Jimmy Butler. Um, Levine in, Harden in. So a month ago, 
I had or three weeks ago, whenever I did my first All Star pass, I had Drew Holiday as a lock for all the reasons that you just said. You know, he's eighteen six and six or eighteen six and five on really good shooting. Obviously, he's an elite defender. I probably still have him in, but he's slumped a little bit. And Tatum has risen in the last week, as and as you said, although his shooting percentages are still like, eh, he's a good defensive player. I think he's a better playmaker than Jalen Brown. Like if you're picking a Celtic, it's Jason Tatum. The one that I have trouble with is I I, I almost have, want to have both Jared Allen and Darius Garland on. Statistically, Jared Allen's numbers are off the charts. Defensively, he's been really good around the rim. Again, I just come back to like, where are the Cavs without Darius Garland? Like, he's running. He's running their entire offense. He's their entire engine on one end of the floor. He's averaging, I think, twenty and eight on forty-seven percent shooting, fifty-five percent on twos, solid on threes. They're plus a lot with him on the floor, minus a lot with him off the floor. Now we see this with point guards, right? Like D'Angelo Russell has this massive on-off differential. Van Vliet has this massive on-off differential. Sometimes it's about your backup being bad as much as it's about you being good when you're the point guard and you run the offense. So I'm not going to read too much into that. I just have a hard time watching the Cavs. They're bo- they've both been awesome, and I kind of want to find room for both of them, but then I have to then I have to bump Drew Holiday, and so I, I'm kind of stuck with what to do there. But again, this doesn't... This doesn't really matter. But what do you think of my Garland over Allen by a hair take? It's completely reasonable. And definitely there is a lot of reason, I think, for the same reasons we had that Chris Paul conversation to be a little skeptical of centers that are primarily finishers that are set up. You know, does the point guard actually deserve a lot of that credit for, you know, putting them in position to succeed? Uh so I, I think it's fair. I had Garland is my next guy at guard. He's right there with that group. I don't think there's a, a a huge difference either way. I mean, you do have an injury replacement in the East since you know Chris Haynes reported that Kevin Durant's That's not right. going to play in the game. We, we, the more, the merrier. So, but basically, like there are five that I think um, you and I agree on: Butler, Van Vliet slash Young, Levine, Harden. Well, that's four actually. Uh, and then there are three spots for like Holiday, Garland. Allen, and then you get into the Sabonis Tate. Three spots for Holiday, Garland, Allen, Tatum. That's where that those are the next four guys for three spots. Who do I want to leave off? I'm not really sure. Then let me ask you about a couple of other guys. Pascal Siakam. Has he made a push for you? I mean, his numbers are really good. Since he's come back from whether it was injury or COVID or both, I can't keep track. He's been really, really good. Yeah, I don't think there's a like has he been better on a permanent basis than the guys who are on the team other than maybe Tatum probably not and then also has you know probably not played quite as many minutes because of that time he missed at the start of the year so i think it's hard for me to take him over anyone who's on the team uh and i can hear the charlotte fans hey yep. wait a second we're 27 and 22 we just scored 158 points against the sad ass indiana pacers we get no one? LaMelo Ball don't make it? Uh, Miles Bridges doesn't make it? Uh, these crap 500 teams get guys and we get no one? How is that? How is it possible we both came to that conclusion, KP? I, have, I think it's actually reasonable. Both those guys are awesome. They both deserve consideration. But why do you think that's the case? 
Yeah, I mean, probably the more guys you have that deserve reasonable consideration for the last spot on the team, the more that's the reason that you're successful and the less it's about any one single individual, which is, you know, why this argument that teams deserve a certain number of uh, all-stars is so flawed. I mean, I... Lamella would not be a bad choice at all. I think for much of the first half, I assumed he was going to end up on my team, but he he probably fell a little bit behind Garland just because of the fact that if you compare him to the other guards that are in this group, he hasn't been quite as efficient this season. Beal? Didn't have him in that quite in that tier with the, the ball and Garland emissions. He's 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 in that tier for me. Uh, I, I just he's a really he's a star, but he's his shooting and scoring are both down this year, and and I think it's it's a it's it's borderline. Sabonis is I, I actually Sabonis has had a better season than people give him credit for. He's he's his numbers are right on track with what they've been. They've just gotten to a point in the standings where like you're just disqualified from all star consideration. You're playing for nothing every game. The team is terrible, and I I know that you disagree with me, but if it's if we're splitting hairs and that's what this is, I'm disqualifying Sabonis. Did you consider Sabonis or? I I would have had him as my injury replacement for KD just positionally. Has he been an injury replacement before? I think he was last year, yeah. Why don't they just call it the Domantas Sabonis injury replacement? Um I think at the end then if I'm going for, if I'm my last 3 after Butler, Van Vliet, Levine and Harden, I think if, if you put a gun to my head and make me choose, I'm going Drew Holiday, Darius Garland, Jason Tatum and I'm leaving Jared Allen off and it's really I'm going to lose sleep at night and it's going to be terrible. Um, Levine, Levine, I think has a really strong case on almost unassailable 25 and five on 49% shooting. And after a slow start, the bulls are now even for the season when he and Vooch play without DeRozan for a while, it was really the DeRozan groups that were carrying Chicago. So he's in, and that's it. Those are our all-star teams. KP, any, any player we didn't mention that you really wanted to hit, you know, or, or, or was that other than Anthony Davis choice is going to set. The tweeter, the tweeter verse aflame. Uh, Desmond Bain was the other player I had written down on my list, who I don't think we mentioned at any point. Well, I said on TV like a month ago, all this most improved conversation is cute. Like, you got to look at him in the all-star conversation. He's, he's been that good. And so is Jaron Jackson Jr. I just think Jaron Jackson Jr.'s shooting has not been good enough, but his all-around play has been outstanding, and the Grizz are... Maybe the best story in the entire NBA. Well, KP, you're going to help us tell the story of the rest of the NBA season in all sorts of mediums. Thank you for making a little time, and uh, we will surely talk soon, my friend. Sounds good. Go cracking. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.